so good to hear you sing, church family. You can go ahead and be seated. And as you do, let's continue praying to our great God. Well, Father, thank you that you are great and you've revealed your greatness to us. Thank you that you've shown yourself to be great and awesome and mighty, and we worship you today. We continue to pray that you would speak to us. We know that the way that you speak to us, the primary objective way you speak is through your word. And so we open your word today with this joyful anticipation that you're going to speak to us. And oh God, that's a lofty prayer that we ask you to speak to us, but we ask you for even more than just to speak to us. As you speak to us today through your word, would you help us to hear, to listen, to receive? And ultimately, would you help us to apply and to obey and to act? Father, I pray we would not be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the winds came and the rains fell, his house had no foundation. Oh God, save us from being foolish But Lord, help us today to be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the suffering and the trials and the sorrow and the heartache came, his house stood, it had a firm foundation. Lord, would you you help us to build our house on the rock today? And you said to do that, we have to listen to you and we have to do what you say. And so Lord, would you help us to trust and obey today? Speak to us and would you, would you change us in such a way that we would let go of everything foolish and wicked and filthy? And would you help us to embrace everything that is good and right and pure and lovely? We need you in this moment. We pray that you would prepare us to partake of the Lord's Supper. Prepare our hearts to proclaim your dying love for us. Help us to glorify and honor you in all of our attitudes and all of our actions. I ask for your help now and I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's turn together to the little New Testament book of James. James chapter 1. A few weeks ago we set off on a journey through James and we're going to look at James chapter 1. Verses 19 through 25 this morning. After we study this passage, we're going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper together. And so let's prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper right now. Let's prepare ourselves by allowing God's Word, by humbly submitting to it as it examines us, as it corrects us, as we adjust ourselves according to the truth of God's Word. This is the best way to prepare ourselves To examine ourselves is by exposing ourselves, by deliberately positioning ourselves to benefit from the life-giving truth of God. And so James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, the Word of God reads like this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the word of God. May God write its truth on our hearts. Now remember what James has just said. In verse 17, James told us that God is the giver of all good gifts. Everything good we have was given to us by God. And then in verse 18, James reminds us that the best of all God's good gifts to us was to cause us to be born again through the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus. And so here in verse 18, the mention of the power of God's Word to create life in His people prompts James to now begin a discussion of the proper Christian response to God's truth, to God's Word. The experience of the new birth, being born again by the power of God's Word, is to be accompanied with the expression of a new life, the desire to obey God's truth. Those who have been born again by the word of truth, James says, will display that in the way they respond to God's word. Those who have been born again through the work of Jesus will show evidence of that by their behavior, particularly by their obedience to God's word. And so as we move through the book of James, I think it's essential to keep verse 18 in our minds and hearts. Because James assumes that his readers have experienced this new birth by the grace of God. And he writes to them in such a way as to tell them that they should live in light of what God has done for them to redeem them, to redeem us in Jesus. So in this passage, like in all of the book of James, he lays this foundation for us as followers of Jesus. James addresses the proper response to God's word of truth, to God's gospel of salvation. Listen, here's the point of the book of James, and it's the point of this passage right here. The gospel of Jesus creates doers who act, not merely hearers who forget. The gospel of Jesus, the power of Christ crucified and risen from the grave, doesn't create people who just sit back and let life happen and let the others play the game while they sit on the bench. The gospel creates doers who act, not merely hearers who forget. Now, notice that this passage is permeated with references to God's Word. In verse 18, James speaks of being born again through the Word of truth. In verse 21, James speaks of receiving the word that was implanted in us through the new birth. And James says that that word is able to save our souls. 
In verses 22 and 23, the issue is doing the Word, not merely hearing the Word. In verse 25, James refers to the perfect law, the law of liberty, he calls it. This seems to be a parallel reference to the Word of truth. Particularly, James has in mind that new covenant promise that Jesus would set us free. God's truth brings freedom. It is the law of liberty. The truth of God's law will set you free. And so when James refers to the Word, he has in mind the objective, revealed, written Word that finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. For James, that was what we call the Old Testament and probably some of Jesus' teachings. But to us, the Word of God is the entire Bible, particularly the central message of the Bible, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the Word that caused us to become Christians, and it's the Word that sustains us as Christians. And so since God's Word is so important, And so powerful, what should be our response to it? How should we approach God's Word? How should we embrace God's Word? And how should we obey it? Well, James gives us those three aspects of our response to God's Word here. We're going to look at each of these. But James tells us we should have a submissive posture, a receptive heart, and an obedient life. A submissive posture, a receptive heart, and an obedient life. Let's look at what James teaches us about each of these three. First, we're to have a submissive posture. Having a submissive posture to God's Word means that our ear is bent toward listening to God. We are to have an attentive spirit when it comes to God's voice. Notice verses 19 and 20. James says, know this, which, which I think is James' way of saying, pay attention. It's James' way of grabbing us by the shoulders and looking us in the eye and saying, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, at first glance, if you're just reading through the book of James, it seems like these verses are just sort of random commands unrelated to the context here. James is just sort of throwing out proverbs of how we are to live. However, the more you ponder this passage, the more you see that these commands are are connected to the context and how we handle the Word of God. Now listen, I'm not denying that these commands have broader application to all of our relationships, to really all of life. We are to always be quick to listen to one another. We're to have this sort of quick-to-listen attitude when we are relating to one another. And we're to be slow to speak, right? That shows great humility. When we're willing to listen to others and not always jabbing ourselves, that shows great humility. No one wants to be that person that's always talking and never listening. You know that kind of person? This evidence of pride. Someone who's not willing to listen but is always having to give their opinion and share their thoughts. And if you struggle with anger... Verse 20 is general enough to challenge you to fight against unrighteous anger by remembering that it does not please God. We all in some ways struggle with unrighteous anger, but if that's something that you particularly struggle with, if your wife or kids or employers or employees have told you that you get angry easily, you should memorize verse 20. 
Verse 20 will help you. The, the unrighteous anger that we have in our hearts, it does not please God. It does not lead to a righteous life. And so, so these commands are, are general enough to apply to all of our lives. But the question is, why does James give these commands in the context of how we respond to God's Word? There must be some connection here. And I think the connection is this. James is describing the kind of posture we are to have as we come to God's Word. So think about what he's saying. James says we're to be quick to hear God's Word. We're to be quick to hear the truth of God. We are to make every effort to position ourselves so that we can listen to God's Word constantly. So James is not just here referring to the physical action of listening, of hearing, let it go in one ear and out the other. That's not what he's saying. No, we're going to see in just a moment that James is talking about a kind of hearing that embraces God's Word, that obeys God's Word. You see, being quick to hear reveals that someone is humble and teachable. And one of the marks of humility, those who think they already know everything, those who think they can do life on their own, they're not quick to hear. They're not ready to listen to advice and instruction. It's only those who are desperate. It's only those who know just how desperate they are for the life-giving truth of God who are quick to listen to God's Word what does James mean by being slow to speak in relation to God's Word? Well, I would say this is parallel to what James is going to teach us in chapter 3, verse 1, where James says that not many should be teachers of God's Word because teachers will be judged with greater strictness. So when we expose ourselves to God's Word, when we listen to the truth of God, we should adequately process it for ourselves and our own life before we seek to analyze it to others. Right? You see, we are so prideful, I am so prideful, that I often come to God's Word not with a desire to be changed by it myself, but rather with a desire to share my opinion about it. See, when you read a passage of Scripture, or when you hear a sermon preached, your first thought shouldn't be, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. You know what I'm talking about? The kind of elbow nudge to your husband or your wife, like, you need to be listening to this. No, your first thought should be, I need to hear this. I, I need God's truth before I can ever help someone else understand this truth and apply it to their life. Honestly, as I evaluate these first two commands here, be quick to hear and slow to speak, I think so many of us have these commands reversed. Right? So many of us are quick to speak and slow to listen. Does that describe you? Well, the next thing James says is we should be slow to anger. Verse 20, we see the reason to be slow to anger because human anger doesn't produce a righteous life. Now, here's what James may be getting at with this command in this context. James says some pretty harsh and straightforward things in this letter. He is confronting our comfort, our safety. He's confronting us in so many ways. And he may be expecting that some of his readers would get angry over what he has to say about how we are to live our lives. It's one of the proofs of our sinfulness that we get angry over what God requires of us, that we get angry when God, when God tells us what to do because we think we already know how to live our life. We think we already know what we should be doing. But having a submissive posture to God's Word means allowing God's Word to confront your wickedness without responding with anger. You don't get mad but rather you embrace the truth of God with joy and with a willingness to conform your life to God's Word. 
Does this describe your life? Do you have a submissive posture to God's Word? Are you you positioning yourself to regularly listen to, hear God's Word? You see, we are to have selective hearing, James says. We're to train our ears to hear God's voice in the midst of the chaos of this world around us. Friends, we hear what we want to hear. We hear what we want to hear. The real issue is what we value. What we want to hear. Is your heart inclined to the truth of God? Are you bent toward hearing God's voice? Are you bent to some other voice? Whether it be inside you or are outside of you. Well, let me challenge you to do a couple things in becoming quick to hear. And all of us need to grow in this. Even those of us who, who this would describe us, we, we still need to grow here. And so how can we grow? Well, here's a few ideas. First, expose yourself to God's Word every single day. What a treasure we have in God's truth. It contains the words of life contains the words that change us and conform us to God's image. It contains the character and beauty of our God. It's so valuable. Why would you not want every single day to expose yourself to portions of it? Find the time each and every day to read, study, and meditate on the truth of God. Secondly, be present where where Bible-saturated preaching is, is given. Be present at church where the truth of God is is exposed for us, is expounded for us, is applied for us. That's a great way to listen to and be submissive to God's Word. We've been born again by the Word of truth. And our posture toward that Word of truth should be one of submission. We don't like to talk about submission today. Submission is a bad word. But we are called to submit ourselves to the truth of God, to be in submission to the truth. Well, here's the second way James calls us to respond to God's word. Number two, we're to have a receptive heart. Not only is our posture to be one of submission under the truth of God, but we're to have this receptive heart. So it's not enough just to be submissive. We must actually expose ourselves to God's word. We must be ready to receive it into a pure Heart. Notice the clear teaching of verse 21. James says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So James says we're to receive the implanted word. The word of truth was implanted in us when we were born again and we're to go on receiving that word of truth for the rest of our lives. The word receive here It's an active word. It means to embrace, to welcome, to have as one's own. We're to continue to welcome God's Word into our lives throughout the Christian life. In other words, we're to own it. We're to own the truth of God as our own. So here's the proper response to the Word. It's to welcome it into our hearts, to receive it. We're to accept it as the rule and standard for our lives. We don't know better than God. We are to receive God's Word as a treasure more valuable than the finest gold and the sweetest of honey. The Word of God is valuable and it is precious. Imagine that you got a phone call this afternoon and it was about a distant relative who had recently passed away and left you over a million dollars. 
And the person on the other end of the line said, you should expect that check any day because it's already been mailed. Now, how eager would you be this week to check the mail the next few days? You would be on the lookout, right, every day for that mailman. When you heard that mail truck, you would be out there waiting for that check. You would be eagerly and gladly welcoming that check. But is that the way that you treat God's Word? Is that the way that you eagerly wait to receive the truth of God day in and day out? Notice what James says is the proper preparation for receiving the Word. This is very important. James says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. This this verb, put away, it's a, a violent word. It means to strip off. The pictures of someone ripping off filthy garments from themselves. James says, put away wickedness like you would tear off your clothes if you had fallen in sewage. Think about it. If you were immersed, submerged in sewage, you wouldn't calmly unbutton your clothes and fold them neatly in a pile. No, you would get them off as fast as you possibly could. The filthiness and wickedness in our hearts is what keeps us from receiving the truth of God properly. Our own evil desires are like thorns that choke the Word out. As the the Word of God is planted on on our heart, the thorns of our wickedness and filthiness choke it out so that we don't benefit from it. And so before we can receive the Word with meekness, we must repent of our sin and run to the Savior who is the only one who can remove these filthy and stained garments from us. To put off wickedness, let me be clear, is to repent of it and to trust in Christ who bore the penalty for our filthiness and our rampant wickedness. Over the years, I've heard so many people say things like, I've tried to read the Bible, but it's so boring. It's so irrelevant to my life. Friends, can I just say as a friend, the problem is not with God's Word. The problem is not with God's Word. God's Word is breathtaking in its beauty and life-giving power. The problem is our own wicked hearts. If you find the Bible boring and irrelevant, it's because of your own filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so James commands us to put off our filthiness so that we can receive the Word in a pure heart so that the, the soil of our heart is good soil that when the Word is planted in, it bears fruit a hundredfold. Notice James' description of the power of God's Word at the end of verse 21. He says, the Word is able to save your souls. James has already said in verse 18 that the Word is the instrument by which God brings about the new birth. The the Word is powerful to save. But I think in verse 21, James is referring not just to initial salvation. I think James is referring to the entire process of our salvation. James is viewing salvation in its entirety in verse 21. The Word is not only able to save us from the penalty of sin, but it's also able to save us from the power of sin and ultimately will save us from the presence of sin. The power of the Word saves us not just in justification, but also in our sanctification and maturity and ultimately one day when we see Jesus face to face in our glorification. It's the power of the Word at every stage of our Christian life that saves us. Remember Jesus prayed for His disciples on the night before 
He was crucified, John chapter 17. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification comes through receiving the word of truth. The word of God is living and active. It is powerful to free us from the entanglements of sin and lead us to ultimate salvation in the presence of our God for all eternity. And James says true Christians are receptive to God's word. They welcome it because it is God's word and because it builds us into the people that he has called us to be. Indeed, it builds us into the church that God has called us to be. It is the power of God's word that we must receive. And so James says, receive it into a pure heart. Receive it into a receptive, welcoming heart. Receive it by studying it, memorizing it, embracing its teaching as true and relevant for your everyday life. And oh, friends, most importantly, pray for God to give you a receptive heart. Pray for God to remove those filthy and wicked garments so that you might welcome it, so that you might own it as your own. Well, third and finally, James tells us how to respond to God's Word. And this is what all of this has been leading to. We're to have an obedient life. James says we're to have an obedient life. So having a submissive posture and having a receptive heart leads to an obedient life. Verse 22 might be the most well-known verse in the book of James. James says, But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James says that it's deceptive to think that hearing God's Word is enough. No, hearing and receiving must be accompanied by our acting, by our doing. James says, be doers of the Word. Notice that James doesn't say, do the Word every now and then. James says we're to be doers we're to be doers of the word. In other words, this is, what to character, this is what's to characterize our entire lives. Let this be the dominant characteristic of your life. Doing what God says. Obedience is the mark of genuine Christianity. Faith in Jesus leads to obedience to Jesus. This is one of the most clear teachings of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he says is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In other words, don't say you know God. Don't say you follow Jesus if you're not willing to do what he says. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so I think verse 22 is James just simply restating something he'd heard from his half-brother Jesus many times. True followers obey God's Word. Now, in verses 23 to 24, James gives this humorous but penetrating illustration. James compares someone who merely hears God's Word without doing it to a man who looks at his face in a mirror and then immediately forgets what he was like. Man looks at his face in the mirror, he walks away, and he doesn't even remember what he looks like. This is an illustration we can all relate to. We all know what it's like to look into a mirror. I would bet everyone in here looked into a mirror at some point this morning before you came to church. 
Right? Mirrors exist so that we might know what we look like. But not only so that we might know what we look like and then walk away and forget it, but so that we might know what we look like so that we can adjust ourselves before we encounter others. Right? What would you think of someone who got up in the morning, looked into the mirror, saw what they were actually like, saw the truth of who they were, and made no adjustments? Never combed their hair, never shaved their face, never put on any makeup. This, this illustration is supposed to be absolutely ludicrous. It's supposed to be ludicrous because it's crazy to expose ourselves to the mirror of God's word and never make any adjustments at all. It's crazy to look at who we actually are. God telling us who we actually are and then walk away and forget what we were like. And then walk away and never make any adjustments according to the truth of what God's Word showed us. God's Word is like a mirror. It's like a mirror that tells us the truth about ourselves. In God's Word, we see a true picture of who we are and what God has called us to be. And James says we deceive ourselves when we don't apply and obey God's truth. It's not enough to merely read God's Word. It's not enough to merely study God's Word. It's not enough to merely teach God's Word. It's not enough to merely listen to a sermon from God's Word about God's Word. We must obey God's Word. You see, on the day of judgment, God is not going to be impressed with our study of His Word if our study of His Word did not lead to obedience. All of our exposure to God's Word must be accompanied by obeying God's Word. How many of us are guilty of hearing God's Word proclaimed, say, on a Sunday morning, we come here to church and we leave this place and we never even think about what God's truth said to us again. In our culture, we have constant access to the best preaching available. You can get online, you can get on podcasts, and you can hear the best preachers in all the world. We have access to the best Bible translations and Bible study material and Christian literature and Christian books. However, has all of that, has all of our exposure to God's Word actually led to our lives being transformed by God's Word? First, I'm asking myself this question too. Why is there such a difference between what we know and who we are. Why is there such a difference between all that we know and who we are? It's, it's because we hear, it's because we listen, but we don't obey. And so let me encourage you to do something that I've found to be helpful in my life. Whenever you're exposed to God's Word, so whether that be you personal Bible reading in the morning whether that be in a Bible study class, whether that be in a Sunday morning sermon, whenever you're exposed to God's Word, seek to apply one piece of Scripture to one piece of your life. One piece of Scripture to one piece of your life. You see, I found applying God's Word often seems so overwhelming that I just sort of forget about it and move on. It can be, there's so many things I need to change when I encounter God's word that I can just be like, I'm just going to keep on, I'm going to keep on going because I don't got time for this. I mean, you can read a passage of scripture and there might be 15 commands in there and you just got to throw up your hands like, I can't do all this. 
But here's an encouragement to you. Start here. Take one piece of Scripture and apply it to one place in your life. And listen, what I'm not saying is that you can disregard the rest of whatever it is that you read. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying start here. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. A scripture one bite at a time. One piece of Scripture to one piece of your life. And so this morning, how are you going to do that? What, what place in your life are you going to apply a, a part of this particular passage that God is communicating to us? One of the points of application that we've already had is that we need to be quick to hear God's Word. That we need to be regularly exposing ourselves to the truth of God so that we can have a submissive posture to it, so that we can receive it. So how can you apply that piece of Scripture to one piece of your life tomorrow? How tomorrow can you apply that Scripture? How are you going to listen to the truth of God tomorrow? Let me give you a few examples of what that might look like. Maybe set your alarm Get up early tomorrow before work, before the kids get up, before life hits you and spend time reading and meditating on the truth of God. If you find it difficult to find a, a certain time to do that each and every day, find time at the beginning of the day. Set your alarm a little earlier. Or how about this? Listen to a sermon while you're jogging or doing housework. Instead of those times when maybe you just let your mind wander and daydream about whatever, Take that time to be listening to God's truth. You don't have to get every single thing. You don't have to be sitting there with a pen and paper. Just listening to it, you're going to catch what God is saying through His Word. Here's another example. Replace a television show that you like to watch each week. Replace it with studying a chapter of Scripture. Instead of that Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, 8 to 9 o'clock, watching that particular television show, replace that time with studying a chapter of Scripture. Hear God's Word. Receive God's Word. Obey God's Word. Hear God's Word. Receive it. Obey it. Well, let me close with this. Notice verse 25 says that doers of the Word who persevere in their doing will be blessed in their doing. Reminds me of one of Jesus' Beatitudes. James says we'll be blessed when we do God's Word. When we obey God's Word, we do so expecting His blessing to fall on us. Expecting God to show up and bless in His way, in His time, when we obey His Word. So we're to respond to God's Word with a submissive posture, a receptive heart, and an obedient life. Now, as we move to the Lord's table, let me remind us that we have not responded to God's Word properly. None of us have always heard and received and obeyed God's Word like we should. When we look into the mirror of even this passage this morning, what do we see? What do you see when you look into this mirror? If we're honest with ourselves, this passage should provide a healthy conviction of our sins of disobedience, of our sins of commission and our sins of omission. We are the people who have disobeyed God's Word all of our lives. We are the people who have despised the Word of the Lord time and time again in favor of our own comfort, in favor of our own safety. We cannot forget who we are. Now that we've looked into the mirror, we cannot now turn away and forget who we are. We must repent of our filthiness and our rampant wickedness. 
And as we repent, as we turn away from our wickedness and the the filthiness that's inside of us, we must remember, friends, that our Savior Jesus Christ obeyed the word of truth in our place. Listen, Jesus always responded properly to God's word. And he did so in our place so that we can be counted righteous in him. And not only did he obey in our place, but he died as a substitute for our disobedience. So let the reality of your sin this morning drive you to the only Savior. And as we partake of these elements, let us remember the greatness and glory of our Savior who obeyed in our place and who paid the penalty for our filthiness and for our rampant wickedness. And so let's take a moment of self-examination. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 that before we partake of these elements, we should examine ourselves. So let's take a moment of self-examination. The point of this moment of silence is so that we might repent of our wickedness. We might turn away, but then we also might turn to Christ and get ready to receive freshly the gospel of Jesus through the Lord's Supper. So let's take a moment of silence for the purpose of self-examination. Gracious God, I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that your word has caused us to be born again. Thank you that your implanted word is able to save our souls. So Lord, wherever we are on that process of salvation, I pray that your word would do its work in this moment. For those in this room that have never embraced you as Lord and Savior, I pray that your word would save them. For those that have loved their sin and fallen into rampant wickedness and filthiness, God, I pray in this moment your word would save them. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Or for those who are on the brink of eternity, who have not long until they see you face to face, I pray that your word would save them, would mature them, would grow them to look forward to eternity with you. God, for all of us, would you save us by the power of your word. And in this moment, we want to be doers of your word. And so you said, do this in remembrance of you. And so, Lord, we intend to remember your sacrifice. We intend in this moment to obey you by remembering, Jesus, that you died for our sins that your body was broken, that your blood was spilled out so that we might have life abundantly, so that we might know your blessing and your favor. So Lord, would you help us to proclaim your dying love for us as we remember your sacrifice and as we look forward to that day when we will eat this supper with you in your Father's kingdom. Oh God, help us. 
if there are broken relationships in this room, if there are sins that are being clung to and unwillingness to repent of, I pray come do your work, Holy Spirit, in this place. In this holy moment, help us to obey you and to cling to you and to your promises. Lord, this is for you. This is for your honor. This is for your glory. And this is for our joy and for our benefit. So be near to us. Draw near to us in this communion. We want to have fellowship with and communion with you in this moment. So come draw near as we draw near to you. We pray you'd help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're going to be partaking with us, you can find the prepackaged element in the pew rack in front of you. Let me be really clear. If you're not trusting in Jesus, if you're not following,